Doing the impossible is not something you make happen. It's something that you allow to happen. After conducting over 10,000 personal and group coaching sessions over the last decade, author and personal coach Jason Dries has unlocked the simple yet effective formula to accept and create success in your life on the most basic, instinctive level. In his latest book, Do the Impossible, Jason gives readers access to the same life-changing principles he provides in his personal coaching sessions. Ready to embrace success as a state of being? In this exclusive listener offer, get your copy of Do the Impossible for 50% off from the publishers at Bigger Pockets. To get your copy of Do the Impossible for 50% off any format, go to www.biggerpockets.com impossible50. That's 50% off any format, www.biggerpockets.com impossible50. El condado de Santa Clara está pasando por una emergencia de sequía extrema. Valley Water le pide a la comunidad que limite el riego de jardines a un máximo de dos veces por semana. Trabajemos juntos y digámosle sí, ahorrar agua. Visite watersavings.org para más información. I, it's where I like to live. I like to live at the intersection of politics and culture because I think that, you know, Washington is a hugely important part of our lives. But if you go out around America, you find out that the way people experience politics is not as much through you know, what happens in the Senate or the House. They experience it through the controversy over the controversy over Colin Kaepernick or over Dave Chappelle or whatever it is. That's like the way people live yeah. politics in America. Hey, everybody. Uh, welcome to On Brand with Donnie Deutsch. I am Donnie Deutsch, and that is why the show is called On Brand with Donnie Deutsch. And the reason it's called On Brand it's because we do something here that nobody else does, is we kind of look at the world in a certain way that everybody and everything and every person, every company, every product, every politician, every religion is a brand. And we kind of analyze the world that way. And we, we, we figure out which brands are up and which brands are down. That's our brand of the week segment. And we also have our uh, big iconic interview with a personal, a personal brand about their own personal brand. And today it's John Hammond. John is, of course, one of the uh, most important political journalists of our time. Uh, he's the creator and host of The Circus. He's the uh, chief MSNBC political analyst. He's uh, the editor and founder of The Recount. Uh, really, really incredible guy with a lot to say about what's going on in the world of politics. But first, let's start with our Brands of the Week. Okay, let's see who's up and who's down and who's driving the zeitgeist. First Brand of the Week, Brand Up. Well, brand down, depend how you look at it. For Thanksgiving dinner, obviously it's Thanksgiving this week. And the cost of a holiday dinner is up 14% this year. Putting together the traditional Thanksgiving meal will cost about 14% more. A 16-pound turkey will set you back about 24 bucks, almost five more than the average cost a year ago. The ingredients for a classic Thanksgiving meal add up to 53 bucks. And add in a ham and a couple more sides on the table, the total rises to 65 bucks. Uh, grocery prices, of course, all major grocery store food groups are up five and a half percent. So I'm not quite sure why why Thanksgiving dinner is up 14. If actually just most groceries are up five, but it's of course a little bit more, but still worth it. Still one of the great holidays of all time. Uh, brand up for President Biden. Uh, he was declared healthy and vigorous after his first presidential physical. Um, he was described, quote unquote, that he was healthy, vigorous, 78 year old who was fit to carry out his duties. This is after he went underwent a full medical evaluation and a colonoscopy, um, which leads Biden turned 79 uh, this past Saturday, which leads us to our next brand of the week, Kamala Harris for 80 brand up for Kamala for 85 minutes. Kamala Harris became the first woman with presidential power. 
That's right. When when Biden went under anesthesia as any president, he can no no longer at that moment when he's incapacitated function as president. Um, the vice president gets a hand over presidential power. She's not officially the president, but she has the powers of the president. So first woman, first uh, female black president uh, with presidential powers, not president. Um, so there you go. Uh, for a colonoscopy for one hour and 25 minutes, I want to remind everybody out there, if you're 50 and above, go get a colonoscopy. I've had them and it saved my life. Um, brand down for Trump, of course, but Brent, like I just... <laughs> This is a silly little thing, but is it? Trump's coming out with a coffee table book, um, and you can't make this stuff up. It's a coffee table book that he's charging $230 for a signed copy of his forthcoming. It's a picture book, um, which is touting as a must-have for all patriots. Very little writing in it. No surprise there. But he's going to write. He says he writes all the captions in distinctive all-caps handwriting. It's 300 images. You can buy the book. Trump is charging $74.99 for a signed copy, $299.99. I wonder if it's even his signature. Um, he said that he received offers from traditional publishers, but that's probably bullshit because the largest publishing houses were reluctant to do business with him because they feared he would spread lies in his books and then they would hope be held accountable. And Trump said that he wrote all of the very short captions. There you go. A picture book for our president, Donald Trump. There you go. I wonder one day if there's a Trump library, if it will be all pictures also. Um here are some class acts over here. Three of my favorite uh, Congress folks, I say that with great uh, facetiousness, Gates, Cawthorn, and Gosar, both, all three of them are falling each other, over each other to, uh, to offer Kyle Rittenhouse uh, an internship. Several Republican lawmakers down the congressional internships for Kyle Rittenhouse joined a coalition of right-wing voices celebrating the Kenosha shooter after his acquittal on Friday. Of course, Rittenhouse is, uh, is the 18-year-old that was acquitted uh, after killing uh, two people in the Kenosha riots. Um, Representative Madison Cawthorn wrote, if you want an internship, reach out to me. Uh, Paul Gosar threatened to arm wrestle Gates, who also wanted him for the chance to hire the team as an intern. This is obviously just a, a uh, fundraising gimmick for these douches. But imagine that. They, they, this, is a, this is a hero to them. This is, this is a guy that they, they can't wait to hire to bring aboard. Guy that killed Two people carrying an automatic weapon, uh, an assault weapon. Uh, you know, he was found uh, innocent by self-defense, but yet this 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 gentleman, this eighteen-year-old genius, showed up at a at a riot with an automatic weapon, and uh, people were killed as a result of it. And he has no guilt in there. There's the world is upside down. Uh, you know, it's interesting. There's a brand down for Don Trump Jr. He there's no limit for this guy. Uh, Basically, Don Trump Jr. said that he, he basically tweeted that a gun rights organization would send Rittenhouse an AR-15 and that, that Don Trump tweeted this out, that a gun rights organization was going to send Rittenhouse a free AR-15. This is this is the president's, former president's son. This is Don Trump Jr. Even Rittenhouse's attorney, Mark Richards, said he's an idiot. I don't have to expand on that because it speaks for itself. Brand up for my friend Michael Cohn. Uh, Michael Cohn on Monday released from house arrest. Uh, he, he is, was, of course, pleaded guilty to campaigns, campaign finance violations um, and lying to Congress about business in Russia. Cohn said he, he had been on house arrest for 18 months after more than 13 months in federal prison. Um, he ended up serving the rest of his term in house arrest because of COVID. Uh, as of Monday, he is completely free. He served his time. Michael is a friend of mine. Obviously, he 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 did some things wrong. He paid for them dearly. He paid for it with his reputation. He paid for it with his law license. Paid for it with three years of his life. I went up to visit him 
um, in Otisville Prison. And I, it's laughable when people call these prisons camps because even though it's a minimum security, you don't want to be there. Um, and the fact that he served time for doing something at the direction, at the benefit of the president, and the president has not had to answer this yet. Um, I don't quite think that's justice, uh, that the lawyer goes to jail um, and the guy that created the offense and the guy that took the benefits of the offense, uh, this is, of course, the the payouts that Stormy Daniels does not see jail time. Uh, That's still TBD. He was uh, unindicted co-conspirator number one in that, unnamed, but obviously assuming it was Trump. But Michael's free. It's going to be interesting to see what he does. You know, I... um, I have coffee with him, you know, around Manhattan. He was allowed to go outside for two hours every day and walk within a certain distance and we'd sit outside and have coffee. And people in Manhattan would stop and call him a hero. Now, obviously, if he was sitting in Biloxi, Mississippi, it would not be the same, but Michael Cohn has a future ahead of him as, as the anti-Trump and we'll see what he does. But I wish Michael Cohn is my friend, Luck. He certainly paid his dues. Former White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows, a brand down. Um, he suggested that uh, Donald Trump should become Speaker of the House if the Republicans uh, regain Congress. Now, little known fact, you don't have to be a member of Congress to become the Speaker of the House. You can be voted in. So theoretically, anybody can be Speaker of the House if the majority of Congress people vote for them. Obviously, it's always been a congressperson, but this is the G key. Imagine him as Speaker of the House. Yeah, that would, that would be him as Speaker of the House and Joe Biden as president. That would be a very productive, productive government. Brand down for children. I, I, I cannot roll. You can never have brand down. Children are ultimate brand up. But let's put it this way. Brand down for Americans saying they they don't want to have children as much. Okay? I don't know if that makes sense or brand up. I don't know. But it's just a fact. New survey from Pew Research found that 44% of non-parents ages 18 to 49 say it is not like too likely or likely at all that they will have children someday. That's almost half of all non-parents between the ages of 18 and 49. That's incredible. It's an increase of seven percentage points from 37% who said that same, same, we answered the same way in 2018. Um, the number of babies born in this country fell 4% to about 3.6 million in 2020, the largest decline since 73. Uh, the reasons for not having children vary sharply. The main given is that they simply don't want any. Okay, look, I always say to people, you don't want them, don't have them. <laughs> I love it. It's the best thing I ever did. But it's not for everybody. Um, and, you know, sometimes in our culture, we, I don't want to say we shame people, but we <coughs> we look at people a certain way who have chosen not to have children because they don't want to. And it's not for everybody, you know? And, and I think the worst thing in the world is for people who shouldn't have children to have children. <laughs> so I salute those people who've made that decision. Brand up or a brand evolving for Disney. Disney um, is going to be pursuing sports betting through its uh, ESPN brand. And, you know, the entertainment giant was always, you know, notoriously conservative about getting into businesses that were kind of not Disney-like. Now, of course, Disney is so much bigger than the old perception of Disney and Mickey Mouse. And we all, Disney is a media empire that that stretches into so many directions. And But it's interesting that they held off longer than most, but through their ESPN brand are going to really get into the sports betting business, which is obviously going to be a, a boon for them. Um, according to uh, Disney CEO Bob Chapek, given our reach, reach and scale, we have the potential to partner with third parties in this space in a very meaningful way. Brand down to the Staples Center because it's no longer going to be called the Staples Center is, of course, where the Lakers play and the Los Angeles Kings play and the uh, WNBA. Uh, who's WNBA? Los Angeles Sparks, is it? I should know that. Shame on me. But the Staples Center is going to be renamed the Crypto.com Arena. 
The home of the Los Angeles Lakers, Los Angeles, and the Clippers also, of course, play there. We named CryptoCom Arena beginning December 25th. Uh, it's a 20-year deal. The cryptocurrency platform who named the arena will now carry. Crypto.com was founded only five years ago. Clippers guard, like Reggie Jackson said, I don't know how it's not going to be called Staples. Like, I can't, I can't see it. I apologize ahead. I'll still be calling it Staples. Yeah, I, it's, you know, Crypto.com is a, forget that it's a new company and it's, it doesn't have any awareness. It doesn't kind of roll off the tongue. Crypto.com arena, you know, I have a feeling it'll be called Crypto Arena, uh, which then defeats the purpose for this is an interesting thing for the brand because crypto is not the brand. Crypto.com is the brand. Crypto is the generic category that we're talking about. But interesting, but no longer Staples Center. That's kind of, uh, you know, I hate when that happens. You know, you know what I love and I really res respect about the Yankees, even though I'm a Met fan? They've kept it as Yankee Stadium. They give up probably $20 million a year of revenue uh, to keep it Yankee Stadium because that's sacred. And I think that's wonderful. And certain things like, I mean, they don't call it the Boston Garden now. It's the TD Waterhouse, but it's still Madison Square Garden. And they haven't changed that, boy. Then I, I don't know what's up. Uh, big brand up for Shaq. Uh, Shaq, Shaquille O'Neal is always kind of popping up on our show, doing a lot of good things. He has been a fantastic entrepreneur post his, um, his NBA career. Um, and he is launching a, a big chicken location in the Islanders' new $1.5 billion arena. He's expanding his food empire. He's also, uh, he's an owner of various, um, um, what's he own? He owns, um, I think, some of the Papa John's. But he is a co-owner of a restaurant venture called Big Chicken. There are a few of them. First one launched in Vegas. Uh, they use, most of them are, are popping up in sports arenas. And um, it, they make all kinds of these big chicken sandwiches. Uh, there is one sandwich called called the Uncle Jerome, named there for Uncle O'Neill's uncle. Another is called the Charles, Bar Charles Barkley, his broadcasting partner. Barkley's namesake sandwich comes with mac and cheese on top of the chicken, along with crispy onions and shack sauce. Here you go. And as I said, um, Shaq's made over seven hundred million in his career when you combine everything. No, no, not not too shabby for old Shaquille O'Neal. Seems like a really nice guy. Also, I've just met him once or twice briefly, but uh, does a lot of charity work and just seems to be a special, special human being. Um, brand up for No Time to Die, the newest Bond um, offering. Uh, it outgunned F Nine to become biggest Hollywood title of the two of twenty twenty one in the pandemic worldwide. It's grossed, uh, it's crossed over 730 million worldwide this past weekend. Um, there you go. Never bet against Bond. It was, of course, Daniel Craig's last uh, James Bond. He was a great James Bond. I would say after Sean Connery, probably my favorite James Bond. I mean, you got to go with Sean Connery. I'm sorry, anybody. And, and by the way, Roger Moore was great. Uh, Pierce Brosnan and Timothy Dalton, you know, they, they all did a good job. But, I, you know, Sean Connery, man, got to go with Sean Connery. Uh, brand up. Actually, yes, tremendous brand up for Jonah Hill. Uh, Jonah Hill is one of my favorite actors of all time. Uh, he's done some fantastic work. My favorite work is his co-starring in Wolf of Wall Street when he played uh, um, um, Leonardo DiCaprio's sidekick. But he's set to play Jerry Garcia in a Morton Scorsese-directed Grateful Dead biopic on Apple. Uh, inspired casting. I kind of so see that for some reason. I don't know why I read that and I just clicked. But what a what a career feather in his cap to be cast. You know, Scorsese. Obviously, Scorsese. They met during Wolf Wall Street, but to be being directed by Scorsese and playing this iconic Jerry Garcia figure, which is going to be interesting because Jonah Hill has lost a lot of weight lately, and and Jerry was a little on the plumper side. Of course, Jerry, the, the former lead singer of the Grateful Dead, who died in 1995. Um, but kudos to Jonah Hill. Uh, brand up for Apple. 
They're aiming for a full self-driving car by 2025. Um, the, the company is trying to build a vehicle without a steering wheel and pedals, which require no human intervention. Um, completely autonomous car has been the holy grail in the auto industry. Others have been chasing it for a while. Um, while Apple has never built a car, it has one massive advantage over traditional car makers is a great deal of expertise in building the brains of smart devices, the custom chips that power iPhone, iPad, Mac. Uh, so be interesting to see. Never bet against Apple. So to me, if they're getting in the car business, I, I'd be worried if I was some of the other car manufacturers. Uh, brand, I don't know, brand E for Walmart. Uh, Walmart starts first commercial U.S. drone deliveries in Arkansas. Walmart this is it, man. Drones with parachutes out of the sky, dropping stuff, you know, put, bringing you diapers over. Ziplines, they're working with Zipline, and the aircraft uh, make delivery by parachute, avoiding the need for customers to have designated landing zones. Um, wow. I don't know what I think about that. I don't want to look up in the sky and see little, you know, Charmin toilet paper being droned down by parachute. Brand up for cell phones. Or, you know, I guess you look at this brand down, but certainly for the business of cell phones, a great article, a study found that no place is sacred. Addicted Americans use cell phones at weddings, funerals, and the toilet. Here are some, the poll reveals what person breaks out where they use their phone. No surprise here, 99% of respondents said they use their phone while watching television. 90% regularly use it when they're on the toilet. 88% said they use it on the sidewalk. 60% uh, admit to using their phone during a religious service. 50% um, have even pulled out their phone during someone's wedding. I mean, I'm guilty as charged. Um... 40% say the first thing they do after having sex is check their phone. Um, yeah, I guess so. Thirty. Here's the one that gets me. 30% confess that their phone notification have distracted them while having sex. And 30% have started scrolling in a funeral awake. Um, there you go. Okay. <laughs> okay, brand down for Broadway's Diana, a uh, musical about Princess Do Diana open to scathing reviews. It almost closed immediately. I don't know if by the time of this uh, airing it's going to be closed. The New York Times called it exploitive. Um, Deadline.com, which likes everything labeled at a royal mess. So not really good there. Brand uh, up for Ken Griffin, hedge fund billionaire. He, he outbid a bunch of crypto enthusiasts to buy one of the copies of the U.S. Constitution for $43 million. You know what that means? It means he's got too much money. All right. Uh, and, and our last one is Arby's. Vodka, Arby's, the fast food chain, which I love, is coming out with vodka that tastes like curly fries. That's right, a vodka that tastes like curly fries. It's distilled with cayenne, paprika, onion, and pepper, and garlic. It's made with kosher salt and sugar. Uh, it's available for a limited time in small quantities and can be purchased online for $59.99 bottle. So if you want your vodka to smell and taste like curly fries, now you've got it. And those are brands of the week. Let's get to our interview with John Heilman now. Uh, John is, as I said earlier at the top of the show, one of the great... Um, political um, followers, minds, analysts of our time. Um, I'm in his introduction, you're going to hear his, uh, his, his quite, quite the list of uh, accomplishments. This is also a little different. If you're watching on YouTube, we, I, I taped him live in front of an audience for during ad weeks, ad week. It's, it's a week long uh, group of sessions in New York city about branding and advertising that's sponsored by the ad week magazine. And, and I did kind of a live, although it's not live now, but a, uh, in front of a crowd, I interviewed John, and here's that interview with, my, with John Hyman. If news reports don't lie, hiring in today's business climate is harder than ever. It's really hard to find the right people. It's hard to find good people. It's hard to find people that fit. And that's why I want to talk to you about Indeed. 
Indeed is a hiring partner that gets you what you really want, a short list of quality candidates as fast as possible because you can do it all. Attract, interview, and hire all on Indeed. Don't struggle on your own to find quality candidates. Indeed can help you hire the right people right now. Indeed partners with you on every step of the hiring process so you can find talent with the skills you need through tools like Indeed Instant Match, assessments, and virtual interviews. Uh, it makes it easier for star applicants to shine with over 135 assessment tests from cooking to coding. Um, assessments make the interview process smoother for everyone. Talent doesn't need to prove themselves again and again to you. You can dive deeper into talking about what's important to you. With Indeed assessments, you can reduce hiring time by 12% according to Indeed data worldwide. I'm telling you, pick what skills are important to you from over 135 assessments and get a clear view of your top talent's abilities faster. Okay, let's get started. Get started right now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash onbrand. Get a $75 credit at Indeed.com slash onbrand. Indeed.com slash onbrand. Offer valid through December 31st. Terms and conditions applied. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello, everybody. Welcome. Uh, welcome to our special edition On Brand podcast. This is the first time we're doing a live podcast, and I have with me an incredibly special guest, the one, the only, the great John Howman. Now, he has one of the great, most robust introductions of all time. Oh, come on. And I don't have any notes with me, but I'm going to get it all right. First of all, he's, of course, the, the, found, the creator and the co-host of The Circus, which is brilliant, which just is in its sixth season, believe it or not, and, and I wouldn't be surprised if it keeps going way into the future. Um, he is, of course, the founder and editor of The Recount, which is kind of redefining streaming. I don't want to call it news. I want to call it uh, relevant political daily nugget information video stuff. Really cool. Um, <laughs> he is the national affairs uh analyst at NBC News. He is a frequent guest on Morning Joe. Uh, he has written several bestsellers, uh, including Game Change, which uh, won several Emmys when it was made into an HBO show. He's a renaissance guy. He's a music buff. He's a well-known user of hallucinogenics. Uh, and I, I welcome Mr. John Hyman. Including currently. Yes. It's the only way I could... It's uh, the only way you could do this. I could manage this was to be... Uh, I'm hippie, I'm hippie flipping. Hippie right flipping, hippie flipping. Well, we got a lot to talk about. For, you know, it's interesting. John and I were just talking off stage, and obviously the circus runs Sunday nights, and I kind of want him to take us through just how that sausage gets made together, a week in the life of the circus, because there is nothing else like it on television. Yeah, I mean, the show is uh, from the outset of it, Donnie. Thank you for that kind introduction. I would like to, I would normally make the joke that you read it just like I wrote it, but right. um, <laughs> that's not really how I would have written it. Um, the show is, is unique. And, and you know, we, when we started making it in 2016, the notion was to try to do a real-time weekly documentary about, at that point, the presidential campaign. It's obviously now about uh, our politics more broadly. And real-time documentary meant that we would basically live within the week. We would start the week and we would kind of think about what we thought was going to be a, a kind of a story that we wanted to tell, documentary style, but we also wanted to be alive to the news. And so we had we would start the week on a Sunday or a Monday thinking about what the story was we were going to tell that week. But then if something huge happened over the course of the week, we would change course and try to accommodate to get the breaking news into the show. And it's like one thing to make a documentary. As you know, many people make documentaries. You go out and you shoot a ton of stuff. You come back, you have all this footage, you watch it, you log it, you edit it, you come up with your doc. And then there's news, which we know, which is like, you know, what we see on cable or broadcast news. To do a thing where you would basically start every week 
and sort of go through the week trying to both be documentary in terms of your aesthetic quality, like to have a beautifully shot, beautifully edited, beautifully scored thing that was also responsive to what was happening in the world. And I mean, it's chaotic, but that creates is chaos, right? And so the show, you know, we start with a concept at the beginning of the week and then, you know, we're doing run calls basically revising what do we want to shoot? How do we want to change the story? What's happening that we want to take account of all day long, like all week long, starting on Monday, going all the way through sometimes until Saturday afternoon. And that's a, you know, a huge, just an editor, a combination of an editorial and logistical challenge. If you have now, we have four hosts, four crews, at the end of the 2020 election, we had a dozen crews in the field simultaneously, and it's just a massive uh, it's a it's a it's a massive challenge to try to do that every week and and make something that feels both um, like it captures the essence of what was important in politics that week uh, and 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 didn't doesn't miss anything that you kind of like well why isn't that not in there but also tells a story over the course of the week it's a, it's a great challenge to do and a huge it's a very hard show to make. Uh, but also an incredible, incredible source of pride for everybody who's been involved in it. You know, we got our first, after being doing this for six years, we got our first couple Emmy nominations this year, and uh, we were really proud of that. And uh, it's a, it's a, you know, it's a beast to make it. So today, for instance, today, what will happen on the circus? Take me through your day as far as it relates to the circus. Well, you know, we we start the the show begins every uh, there's a cold open and then a, a credit sequence and then we go to a, a scene that kind of sets up the week that we call a roundtable scene. So those those scenes traditionally on the show before COVID were shot with all of the hosts sitting together in one place, kind of talking over whatever the. Uh, the episode theme was going to be for that week, like what were we about to go and explore and see over the course of the week. In in the in the age of COVID, we've separated, so all of the hosts are in different places, which is makes it even more complicated because yeah. you're looking at four locations with four hosts and trying to cut that together, talking on the phone. But that's kind of our goal of the day. We get that roundtable shot today, and then most hosts will be on the move tonight to go to wherever it is that we're going to be. We're this week. In fact, this week we're going to do the Virginia Senate, uh, the Virginia governor's race. So everybody's kind of headed in the same direction. For once, you know, we were down in Texas for a week. We did a bottle episode in Texas two weeks ago about the crazy what's going on in the Republican Party in Texas uh, two weeks ago. You know, this week we're going to be in Virginia, like I said, looking at that race, which obviously has been the biggest off-year election and one that everybody sees as having a lot of implications for the midterms and for what's happening with Biden and everything else. So we're, we're all going to one place. Other weeks, you know, we're if far flung, you know, sometimes we'll have people in, you know, other countries yeah. um, over the course of the week. And uh, it's, a, it's quite a thing. It's a, it's a brilliant undertaking. It's become a show of record. Uh, before we, I want to talk a lot about just politics. You and I are bullshitting yeah. politics. But before I do, I, I want to spend a chunk of time on the recount because it's really the beginning of something fairly revolutionary. And I kind of want to hear from you as you talk to the advertising community and as you see it and where it fits in and why it's kind of ahead of the curve. I mean, everybody's trying to figure out streaming news and whatnot, but this is kind of lives in a different place. Well, yeah, I thank you for saying it. You know, we started the company a couple of years ago. My friend John Battelle, who's the CEO of the company, and I, and, and primarily Fred Wilson, who's kind of a legendary venture capitalist in this city, um, kind of looked at, 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 at the world as people were, how people were interacting with video in news. And, you know, it was clear even then that, that you know, I love, my, I love working at MSNBC, and, and I have a lot of respect for broadcast and cable news, but you know, more and more people consuming more and more video, getting their news not from traditional sources, but getting them on social media and now increasingly in streaming, that that called for kind of a rethinking of how news analysis, commentary, uh, how that worked, you know, to try to make a, an approach to video news 
that would live in the places where innovation was happening, streaming and social, and 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 give people a way to be to be smart, to, to get smart fast, you know, give people the information they needed, have no bullshit, um, which is a thing that everybody feels like they, I mean, when we started the company, the most resonant thing when we would say to people, well, how are you guys going to be different? Are you liberal or you conservative? We're like, we're not liberal or conservative. Yeah. We're anti-bullshit. And everyone, any age, any political disposition would kind of lean forward and go, I like that. Like there's a lot of bullshit in the news, right? Uh, and so we, we kind of set out to try to do that and, and thinking about about short form, thinking about not having suits on sets, thinking about trying to get away from a lot of the kind of hoary established tropes of how uh, news has worked for the last 30 or 40 years. And, you know, we, we started really focusing exclusively on politics. That was where I, where my passion was. We thought the 2020 election was going to be the biggest story in the world. It was, except then COVID came along. And, you know, we made it somehow through uh, through the pandemic, and uh, we lived to a large extent on Twitter, where the, the where I mean, the, you had over a billion views last year. We had over yes, yeah, so over a billion video views on Twitter in twenty uh, in, in twenty twenty, and and you know that is obviously the place where uh, where there's very intense conversation happening about politics. Twitter was perfect for us in the context of what was going on in twenty twenty. But now we are kind of trying to take what we've learned from that experience and and kind of. I wouldn't, you know, at one point, somebody from Twitter said, you guys have an opportunity to own video news about politics on Twitter. And I thought, well, that's kind of a ludicrous thing to say. And then at the end of the year, we were like, you know, there was nobody who really done it more effectively than we had. And it wasn't just that we had all these views on Twitter. It was that the engagements were people watched the videos to the end. They shared them. Yeah, so do, let, let's do a little let's do a little pitch. Let's say you're up at Deutsch Advertising. Yeah. You're in there. You know, they bring they card out Heilman to right. pitch the recount. Give me the 60 second elevator pitch. Well, I think that's, you know, we're, we're, we got advertisers listening out there, media buyers, media players. You know, we're now trying to take what we learn from that experience and say, uh, the future of news is on social and streaming. So, you know, having had success in, in a, on a key social platform, we want to go out to other social platforms and, and clearly go out into the world of streaming and make something that is more in line with and more uh, that rhymes with the way that people now consume news, which is not, you know, either sitting in front of the television at six o'clock watching the evening news on NBC or right. ABC. Well, or if CBS. you're 73 years old, yeah. If you're right. older, right? right. Yes, that's true. It's a, there's, a, there's still a market for that. Right. Or really, the people who watch cable, which we both go on, but Just like sixty-nine. Right? Yes, it's, you know, it's that it's that it's that wallpaper quality yeah. of cable, right? And it suits on sets and, and pundits talking. I'm one of them. I'm not. I'm not dissing it, but it's not the way people who are twenty-five, it won't thirty-five, be where the world 45. is fifteen years from now. Correct. So and, and so we're trying to go out and meet the future there, and we're trying to go from having covered just politics to to broaden our perspective and and cover. Uh, business and technology and culture and 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 finance and and entertainment um, because we are fundamentally a journalistic institution and you know we we think that that what journalism is about is holding power to account and and those are all places where power lives right whether at Silicon Valley or Hollywood or Wall Street or Washington we think in our genetic code is that we're good at calling bullshit on people in power when they lie and when they when they cheat and when they are hypocrites. And we think we're good at kind of brooking no bullshit in the way that we go about approach, uh, kind of putting forward our take on things. And I think that's, you know, that's sort of the pitch is we're going to try to make something that feels like the future of news uh, in video. 
uh, on all of those fronts. And, you know, we've had um, some, you know, we've had, we just raised a bunch of money in the spring, which was a great, uh, a great uh, endorsement of the degree of success that we've had so far. Uh, we just, uh, just this week, we have two new board members joining uh, the company, Maya Wiley, who ran for mayor here in New York City, uh, and Elizabeth Sammy, who was a legendary uh, executive at NBC News for a long time, working with Andy Lack and other people, like one of the savviest media business executives of my generation, of our generation, and one of the most kind of forward-thinking yeah. political actors, someone who cares about diversity and, and the way that uh, the way that trying to reflect the world as it is now, not the way the world looked uh, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, uh, to get those two women to come on the board as independent directors is also a huge endorsement in our view of yes. like, these are like very high quality people who are looking at what we're doing and saying, we want to be part of sure. that. So we're excited about all that. Good stuff. Uh, you talked about, you know, holding power accountable. We're, we're on a precipice here. I, I, I am terrified as most people, not most people, as people who are watching this thing closely. Yeah. Nobody watches it closer than you do. Uh, Bill Maher did a rant a couple of weeks ago, which I, I, I've been speaking similar things. Is like, this is not now hypothetical. You could argue it's a probability that Donald Trump will run for re-election. By the way, there's a chance he could legitimately win, which is frightening in and of itself. Yeah. I think if he ran today, he probably would. I, I, it, it's, uh, it's insane to say. But the scarier thing is he runs again doesn't win, but what's being teed up in the state legislatures and boards is basically a coup on democracy that's being set up. Where is the probability, if I, I'm going to put a gun to your head, John Hammond, is that, you're probably not a politically correct thing to say anymore, but I'm going to really, I'm going to really push you to the max. Please don't put a gun to my head. Okay, right. Either metaphorically we, or we, we, actually. We, we, we yeah, can't do that. Yeah. Um, you had to predict right now, and your career is on it. What do you see 2024 looking like? I know well, I'm skipping past the midterms, yeah. but let's let's go to 2024. I'm, you know, I'm like, uh, I believe strongly in the my favorite political philosopher, Yogi Berra, you know, who said that prediction is always difficult, especially about the future. Yeah. So I'll, I'll, I'll refrain from that kind of prediction, but I agree with you about, you can forecast some scenarios. And I think that, you know, we did this episode, literally the circus episode that aired last night was called Coup Part Two. And, it, you know, the, the, the two realities, one, which is that, as bad as we thought January 6th was, you know, the, the, the assault on the Capitol, the, the attempt to disrupt the counting of the Electoral College votes, we now know that that was kind of window dressing for what Trump was doing behind the scenes, you know, at the Justice Department. Uh, the, you know, the Eastman memo trying to get, to present an argument to Mike Pence for how he could circumvent the Constitution and keep Trump in office even though he had lost uh, fair and square in the election. So we have now seen, there's not like, a, there's not a lot of like, people were hesitant to use the word coup about 2020 or attempted coup. It's now kind of beyond any, any, any arguments that that's what we saw yeah. in, in, from November 7th to January 6th of, of 2020 and 2021. And to your point, I think, you know, you're seeing, um, you know, those, those issues you raised, whether it's the purge of the Republican Party of anybody who won't buy the big lie. Trump's, if you voted to impeach Trump and you're Republican, there are 10 of them, everyone's going to get a primary. Everyone's trying to, he's trying to force them all out of the party. He's got, you know, those trying to take away the ability uh, in state by state, these voting laws, which don't just suppress the vote, but also subvert the way that the elections are run. So it's partisans, Trump partisans now who will be in the position, you remember in Georgia when Trump called Brad 
Raffensperger and said, hey, can you find me 11,000? 11, 11, yeah, by the way, we were two or three people with a bad moral compass away from this happening. Yes, correct. Time. It's like, and, and now in Georgia, they passed the law. Yeah. It's like, there will be Brad Raffensperger. Yeah. There'll be a Trump guy on the other end of the phone when yeah. Trump calls and says, I need 11,780 votes. So all that's happening. And, and I think the question you're raising, it's happening in plain sight. Like you, if, you're, if you're paying attention, the audits, you know, the undermining of faith in the election, everything Trump is doing is basically, I failed at this in 2020. What do I need to do to set it up so that if necessary, it'll work this time? And that's what we focused on in this episode of The Circus that aired last night. I think your question is a broader, is another question though, which is maybe he doesn't need that. You know, what's the likelihood that Trump you know, wins going away in 2024. And I think that's, you know, there's a lot of mileage between now and then. But I'll tell you, you know, Democrats, you know, that I talk to all day, every day, are terrified of the high likelihood that they will lose control of the House and Senate Absolutely, right. in the midterms, which which the odds would be given historical. Exactly, yeah. historical. And then, you know, you see these other things. You and I have talked a lot about the fact that people are only waking up to now, like what the impact, political impact of inflation is, yeah. right? Most of us, have lived in a zero inflation world for the last 30 years sure. in America. I don't know. It. I don't know it. And, and you think about what inflation in other countries and in this country, when it's become a major factor, what does that do to the political psyche and to the cause of, a, of, a, of an incumbent president? It's not good. Um, Plus, you, so, attack, you position it, if I'm running against the Democrats inflation, socially, socialistically inspired inflation. 100%. And so it's like, you know, is the likelihood that Republicans will take control of the House and Senate in 2022? Yes. Um, that's, it's not a guaranteed. I'm not big. I'm not saying like there are a lot of things Democrats can do to try to fight that off. But, you know, on that Mars show that you mentioned, my friend Killer Mike Render from, from Run the Jewels was on there talking about how pissed off his, his African-American friends in Atlanta are at Joe Biden. The people who helped Joe Biden win Georgia, who are like, you know, you're not doing, you haven't done shit for us. It doesn't look like you're trying very hard. Now that's his point of view. Mm -hmm. But if the Democratic base is depressed, and the people in the middle are worried about socialism, inflation, too much spending, whatever. Um, that's a bad recipe for 2022 and potentially a bad recipe for 2024. Again, a lot of mileage between now yeah. and then. And Joe Biden will look a lot better if they pass yes. infrastructure and reconciliation. And all of a sudden, it's like he's LBJ maybe two yeah. months from now. Yeah. But right now, I'll, I'll tell you, it's not a pundit view. It's the view of every Democratic, not every, the view of many Democratic elected office holders at the congressional level and elsewhere. People are fearful about what about where we're headed on that front. Are people fearful that Biden is going to run again or are they fearful that he's not going to run again? I, you look, I think the I think there's going to be a question, you know, that I, I, you know, I again try to stay away from prediction. But like if you imagine the non implausible scenario that that Republicans have a very good midterm, I think there will be a question at that point in November, uh, the, the, the week after the midterms in November of 2022, the debate that people are now uh, not having, which is, you know, whatever you think of Joe Biden, love him. I love the guy. Yeah. Loved him for a long time on a personal but level. Great, really a, special. A, a great American. Great. Politics are, yeah. But, you know, is, is Joe Biden to be 84, you know, uh, 82, whatever, 82, 82, 82 when he's running for election? Is Joe Biden going to get, is that, will the Democratic Party, if it suffers a bad loss in the midterms, will the Democratic Party be fully behind the notion of Biden running for re-election in 2024? I think that'll be a discussion that a lot of Democrats will have. 
part of the issue is you look at the bench and Kamala Harris, who everybody's had tremendous hopes for, has not come out of the gate strong. Uh, a couple of snafus and does not have, uh, is not polling well. And there doesn't seem to be a bench in Democrat. I mean, obviously anybody can come out of anywhere and it happens and all of a sudden lightning strikes. And every, t- every time we, every time you say there's not a bench on a, a political party, someone, appears, someone suddenly appears yeah, right, and you're right. like, oh, I didn't see that guy. Governor yeah. of Arkansas, who yeah. the hell knew? Um, there's no question that uh, there's trepidation about uh, that, 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 that Vice President Harris is not. Uh, and again, I think this is true. There are a lot of people in the Democratic base who look and say, you know, that she's not being elevated enough. She's not being given enough of a chance. She's being unfairly maligned. Whatever the combination of things are, it's not like uh, she has been the star that some people thought that she might be. And again, someone I've known for a long time and have a very high regard for, but I wouldn't say that she's had a, she's not been on fire in 2021. And it's another thing. Now, on the other hand, you know, I, some of the smartest Republican strategists I know think that Trump at the top of the ticket in 2024, which now looks increasingly likely. He's, you know, by the prohibitive front runner. They think it's a fucking disaster for the party because they look at a state like Georgia in 2020, where local Republicans outperformed Trump and outperformed the Dem- Republican Democrats took a dump other than, and, other than Trump. And Republican and Republican senators. Like the Republican, two Republican Senate candidates down there were affiliated with Trump. They both lost. Yeah. Trump lost the state of Georgia. So, you know, and is is his, is he really becoming more popular in the middle than he was before with all this talk about the big lie and all this craziness? He's not. And so, you know, you can get carried away with the notion that, you know, Trump is on this glide path to some kind no, of a look, landslide. I'm not saying you're saying that, but as fearful as fear, I understand why people are scared of that scenario. But, you know, there are a lot of other reasonable Republicans, our friend Joe Scarborough, for one, who look at the situation and say, you know, Trump is a lunatic. And, oh, and running way, a lunatic ran, at the top of the ticket is not the way to success the for the party. If Republicans ran anybody else, they would win in a landslide. I mean, that's the irony of this whole thing is that you literally, I was talking about this on Morning Joe this morning, that it is just, it is so teed up for a we'll call it moderate Republican, just a, a normal Republican to win because there is a, 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 Fear, a lot of fear in the country that the Democrats are lurching too far left. Now, obviously, it's a pendulum and it goes and whatnot, but it's we live in the center. We do. I mean, that's 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 where the money shot is. It really is. I will say that, you know, that the one thing I feel like we've learned over the course of the last six years, you know, since Trump came down the escalator is that a lot of uh, excessive confidence in one's predictions about what's going to happen <laughs> in American politics is uh, is not warranted. And, and the easiest way to go broke uh, is betting on, you know, any kind of bromide that's like, well, this is definitely going to happen and this yeah. is where the... It's like, ah, man, I just imagine there's going to be a lot of crazy shit that happens in the course of the next two and a half years and we'll see where we land. Yeah, I, I'm worried about a, a real civil war. I, we, that, that's, I, I mean, I'm an optimist by nature. It's heading that way. And, and you know, an interesting a Gallup poll recently just blew me away that over half of Republicans... Half of Republicans, not crazy wing nut Republicans, just yeah. half of Republicans, if they could, red states could secede from the nation, they would. And I'll give you an equally scary one, almost a little over 40% of Democrats in blue states. That's how divided we are right now. Well, and it's also this other thing that, that's said that you put that together with the other thing that I have been concerned with um, and, and vocally concerned with for the last, even before 1-6, was that... You know, this is in this world where we have in this complicated media environment that we live in, especially a very self-segregated one where people live in their bubbles and only, and I would say, you know, there's a large number, crazy number of people out there who believe things that are just actually false. 
like the fact that, that the election was stolen uh, by, for Joe Biden in 2020. But there's a lot of other things, too, related to COVID, the, all the QAnon conspiracy theories, all of that stuff, right? You see the polling that has people who increasingly believe things that are not true, like that Joe Biden stole the election. And then they say things like they think that, um, by, that, that in order to keep that from happening again, that violence might be okay, you know, that they're open to the notion of, like, yes. of people taking up arms to, uh, to, 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 to prevent things that actually didn't happen to really happen. And so the, combina- the combination of the radicalization of the Republican Party under Trump, the belief in big lies of various kinds, and the notion that, as he's trying to do right now, to convince a large swath of the Republican Party that January 6th was a noble exercise and that the people who are in jail for sacking the Capitol are political prisoners and that Ashley Babbitt is a martyr. I worry not just about like the kind of the theoretical prospect of civil war, but about the fact that we are seeing a, a, a demonstrable trend towards greater political violence in our society. And, you know, that's a thing that people say, oh, you're being paranoid. I'm like, I've lived in countries where their political violence was a relatively frequent occurrence. And I'm not talking about even the Middle East. I'm talking about like, I lived in London in the 1990s when bombs went off in trains and in the city of London on a, on a fairly frequent basis. You know, it's not in, at all inconceivable. That's back where we're headed. And I think that there's that, that increasing tolerance for violence in our politics is maybe the scariest thing of all. I mean, there's millions of people who think that January 6th was a righteous cause on Capitol Hill. And that is a scary, 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 scary stuff. The, the one thing I didn't mention in your introduction is uh, the host of the Helen Highwater podcast, which has got a lot of terrific advertisers also and is rock and rolling. Last 30 seconds, just give us, give us the quick uh, take on Helen Highwater. Well, you know, we started the show in the, in the pandemic and it was just that moment where it wasn't a COVID show, but it was the sense of like, the, the racial reckoning moment and COVID and Trump and everything else that was happening, the sense of like end times, you know, this kind of apocalyptic feeling that a lot of people had in their lives at that moment. And I wanted to kind of have a show where you could go to, you know, people in politics, but also people in, in the entertainment, you know, people who are artists and people who are business people and technologists and scientists and whatever, and, and even, you know, marketers maybe, uh, and have a conversation about okay, so, you know, this apocalypse now feeling, how is that changing the way you think about the world and how you do your work and how you express yourself creatively or, or your, what your mission is in the world? Let's have that conversation. Is that you, you know, in a moment of, of great fear and anxiety, is that, is that provoking you to withdrawal? Is that making you more creative? Do you feel optimistic? Why do you feel optimistic in the face of all that? That's the conversation we've been trying to have. The show's been on the air for a, a year now. Uh, and it's been a delight. I know you're having a lot of fun doing your 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 podcast. Guess, we're we're in the process of kind of making that show into a, kind of a, into a television show or into a video thing for the Recount. It's a Recount property. It started life as a pure podcast. It's on its way to being uh, a video series, like a really a show that will live on our streaming platform. And I, you know, I, it's where I like to live. I like to live at the intersection of politics and culture because. I think that, you know, Washington is a hugely important part of our lives. But if you go out around America, you find out that the way people experience politics is not as much through, you know, what happens in the Senate or the House. They experience it through the controversy over the controversy over Colin Kaepernick or over Dave Chappelle or whatever it is. That's like the way people live yeah. politics in America. But the, the, but the, the point you bring up and that you I want to end on this because you become probably the most important vo- voice 
on the intersection of politics and pop culture and news and entertainment. And there's a blur of it all. And you have been a great ambassador <laughs> and ombudsman taking us through this. I really appreciate your time, my friend. Uh, Donnie, will you please come on Hell on High Water? I've been begging you for I, a year. I, and you, you're always too busy for me. I, I'm, you know, I'm going to openings on, you know, in Hollywood, things like that. I'm going to bring you on the show and we're going to spend an hour talking about your self-care regime because, like, I just want to, when I get to be 80, what are you, 82, 83? When 70, you get to be, 79. When you get to be, and I get to be that age, if I can look half as good as you, I'll be a happy man. Ladies and gentlemen, the comedy stylings of John Heilman. He'll be at the Tiki Room on Route 22 in Fort Lee. You can see him nightly. Thank you, buddy. Hope you enjoyed this episode of On Brand with Donnie Deutsch. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe anywhere you get podcasts, whether it's Spotify, Apple, or anyplace else. Please rate, review, and subscribe. And you can watch our videos on YouTube. Please subscribe there. And we love our comment, your comments on YouTube. So either we'll see you on YouTube or you'll hear us on anywhere you get podcasts. And thanks for, for listening to On Brand. Everybody, thanks for watching. If you like it, hit that subscribe button. And we love having you here watching On Brand. And just don't miss any future episodes. So don't forget to hit that subscribe button. We'll see you next time. Hi, this is Jim Jeffries. I have a podcast out called I Don't Know About That. Each episode is a different subject. We bring an expert on and I say everything I think I know about that subject. And then they correct me. Join in, listen to the podcast. You'll have a laugh and you might learn something. Follow, rate, and review. I don't know about that with Jim Jeffries. Now on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you like to listen. You can also catch video releases each week on YouTube.